You're about to hear a conversation with another fellow Hoffman teacher, Hilary Illick. Now, I've always loved Hilary, but I'll tell you what, anyone and everyone who meets her loves her instantaneously. In our conversation today, she shared how when she did her process, she got permission for the first time in her life to be her whole and full self. And the beautiful thing about her is that once she felt that freedom, that liberation, that authenticity, she immediately devoted herself to giving others that same permission. I'm so moved by her dedication to people's healing journeys. Hillary is funny, she's creative, she's kind and deep and inspirational. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Love's Everyday Radius, a podcast brought to you by the Hoffman Institute. My name is Sharon Moore, and I'm one of your hosts. And on this podcast, we talk to Hoffman graduates about how their courageous journey inward impacted their personal lives, but also how it impacted their community and the world at large. So tune in and listen in and hear how our graduates' authentic selves, how their love, how their spirits are making a positive impact on our world today. In other words, get to know their love's everyday radius. Welcome, Hillary, to the show. Thank you. Hillary, this is one of my favorite things is interviewing fellow teachers. So I want to start right there. You're a Hoffman teacher. I'm a Hoffman teacher. I always find it fascinating to hear the why. What happened to us? What called us to even start this journey of being a Hoffman teacher? So can you start there with us? Day two of my process. It actually was day one. The, the first night of the process when we do a mini bash, I felt euphoric afterwards. I couldn't stop laughing. I was walking back to my room and I couldn't stop laughing. And I asked the teachers if we could please do more of that. And then I went to bed and I woke up the next morning, not realizing that we were going to have a whole day of bashing. And I, I said to my roommate, I want to be a Hoffman teacher. And she said, you don't even know what it is yet, but I think you'd be really good at it. We had this cute little talk. We talk about it a lot since then because I really did want to be a teacher. So I think what I was drawn to was the permission. Th those first few minutes of bashing gave me permission to feel anger and hurt and use my voice and use my body in whatever way it was directing me to go, letting my body release all the stuff. It, it, I felt like I'd waited my whole life for that kind of permission. And I, I think I felt called to being able to grant that to others. And so does that mean that in your life before that moment, you didn't, you weren't able to access that anger and that hurt through your body? I was able to access it. And I was actually really emotional and often called a handful. So I always was able to access it. And it got me in a lot of trouble, particularly at school. So what, what the process did was say, this is okay. This is appropriate. Here's a space for this. This is what you're supposed to be doing is feeling these feelings and making these sounds. Wow. So you went from being told 
this thing that you're doing, Hillary, this makes you a handful to being given permission to do it. It was life changing. Like those, if I had gone home that first night, I mean, obviously I wouldn't have gotten the whole process, but I went to bed feeling like, oh my God, I'm okay. All these feelings that I have are completely appropriate and there's space for them and I'm not a problem. And had you already been in the space of, of working with others, helping others transform, or was that your entry into that field? That's such a good question. Well, I was working as a writer and I'd gone to graduate school in creative writing and I was had been hired by a number of people to help them with their creativity. So my career kept bringing me towards the space of helping people in personal transformation, but it wasn't at all what I was doing prior to the process. I mean, it was a little bit in the realm of creativity, but, but no, the process opened, opened the door for me to actually start exploring becoming a coach. That's, that's what I did shortly after the process. And you've been a teacher for how long? Since 2000, 2008, I got certified, but in the early 2000s, after I did the process, I started a grad group with another graduate, a Boston area graduate group. I was sort of steeped in the methodology. And at the time, they did a two-weekend orientation and training for graduate facilitators. So I had gone through, in a, I think it was in 2001, two full weekends of what was really like a mini teacher training. And so, so 2008, you were certified as a teacher, but you just said 2001. So when did you actually take the process? When did all this start? I took the process in 2000. And then 2001, I took this two full weekend training to become a graduate facilitator. And then I, I wanted to be a teacher, but I had a, a bunch of young children at the time. So I waited to do teacher training until I felt like it was a better time in my family for me to be able to go away for a week at a time. So essentially, teacher, grad facilitator, this has been in your life for two solid decades. How does this play a role in your personal journey? It's so interesting because what we were just talking about is that, that experience, the first night of the process of the mini bash and feeling all of this permission to be who I am, to feel what I feel, for the feelings to be messy, that lit up something in me that then connected me to my life's work. And I think it was my life's work prior to that. I just didn't know it. So I kept, you know, I kept, people kept coming to me to help them feel permission to feel their full range of feelings as writers or creative people. So it, it sort of has always been my life's work. So my personal journey and my professional journey are so intertwined. Is there something now having been in this work for 20 years, is there something you would say, wow, I'm really proud of this aspect or this gift or this evolution that has happened in these 20 years? Yeah, that's such a good question. I'm really proud and grateful. They kind of, it's so interesting. I've been noticing lately that when I feel proud, I feel humble. There's something about humility and pride that feel inextricably linked to me. So 
I feel really proud of what I've been able to do in my own healing journey and what I've been able to bring to other people. And I also feel humbled by it and grateful for it. Recently at a process, very recently, a student said, I want to thank you for all of your own pain and suffering because it's clear to me that you have suffered. And it's clear to me that all the work you've done and the depth to which you know your own pain made you be able to hold me through this week and meet me where I needed to be met in my despair. It was really moving to me. Wow. How often does a student know to see that in us? I know. And this was a really young guy too. I think that is so interesting that the more work we do as people who are in this field, the more we know, like he said, literally using his words, the more we have access to our own pain, the more impact we're able to have on our students and and really anybody who crosses our path. I think, yes, I think exactly. And so, so your question, you know, how has the journey of teacher training and being a Hoffman teacher and before that a Hoffman grad facilitator, how has that informed my personal journey? They're, they're so inextricably linked. And the more I continue to do my own work and my own healing and be present to my own pain and despair, the better a teacher I am. My, my uh, latest focus has been on uh, ego, especially as a teacher. It's an interesting line we walk as Hoffman teachers uh, with the ego. Do, do you also kind of have a relationship with that, being a Hoffman teacher? Yes, I think a lot about the ego, and I, I use this phrase, the spiritual ego, because I think... I think in the space of spirituality and healing, the ego can hijack things. And then it's no longer spiritual and it's no longer healing, it's ego. And as Hoffman teachers, we very often, not always, but very often, we are elevated by the students as if we know more than they do about what it is to be human or as if we know more than they do about what it is to be have a spiritual self. And I think the ego can be very easily seduced by what feels like admiration, even worship. And it's, it, I think it's a danger because when the ego gets involved, it's like I said, I don't think it's spiritual or healing anymore. It's about the ego. So I think it's really important to keep the ego in check, to, to keep humility alive. And I do that by reminding not just myself, but the students that I'm human too, that I have patterns too, that I'm struggling too, that I get a dark side hijack too. I'm not exempt from any, any of these things. Even having done the work for 20 years, I'm not, I'm not fixed and I'm not perfected. And I, I don't think I will be. I don't plan on that in, in this lifetime. In real time, when this is happening as a teacher or even after the process and when we're getting that kind of elevated, I think you said so beautifully, I think you said elevated status or something like that from our students. How do you keep yourself grounded and out of that spiritual ego space? 
it's actually easy for me to not go into the space of the spiritual ego because I'm so aware of my struggles and my imperfections and my patterns. It doesn't seduce me as much as I think it did. Like, I think, I don't know if my life has gotten harder or I've gotten wiser or both, but there is not a a temptation. There's not a chance that I could be lured into the belief that I'm an elevated being or that I know more or that I'm better than anyone else. I have to tell you, I I love that about you. And I, I love respect and admire the devotion to that. I think it's really important for people in positions like us to be seriously devoted to keep that ego in check. I do too. And I see a lot. We all see a lot. I'm sure, you know, the whole guru syndrome where somebody is given such elevated status and they love it. And people seem to love it, actually. It it seems like we as humans love to find someone who's a guru, who, who, quote unquote, knows everything, who can save us. That's sort of the syndrome. And so if we believe somebody else can save us, we're going to put all our stock in them. And if that person wants to feel that way about themselves, they're going to take all that stock. And then what I've seen in my life and in stuff that I've read, and I'm sure you have too, is a lot of damage can happen. Then you've got this person with way too much power and not enough humility who's able to take advantage of the other people. Yeah. And this is why this is a topic for me and for you and hopefully all Hoffman teachers are all people in the healing journey. This is an important thing for us. It's part of our work. I think so. And I think, you know, it's about power, right? So we don't just see this in the guru syndrome in healing communities. We see it in politics. We see it in industry and business. When someone has a lot of power, it's really hard to hold that power with humility and to hold that power responsibly. I actually remember this when I became a mother. I remember thinking, oh my God, I have so much power. Like, And my prayer was, please don't let me abuse this. Don't let me misuse this. Because these little people, these little people trust me with their lives. They have no choice. Speaking of you being a mother, there is something that you did once you, you as a student in the Hoffman process, you were inspired. Can you tell us about the satire and what, what that inspired? Yeah, you know what's funny? I was just thinking, so what you're asking about is that is that I ended up writing a play with another mother about our flaws and foibles as spouses and mothers. But one of the lines in the play that we wrote, I was just thinking of, was, I have so much power. And using that power responsibly is a moment-to-moment I can't remember the last word, moment to moment decision, maybe moment to moment something. I just thought of that line. So anyway, I loved the satire so much at the Hoffman process. I actually loved everything about the Hoffman process so much. I really did. And organically, I kept anticipating what was next. Like the morning of transference, I woke up and said, to my teacher, I've got a bone to pick with one of the other teachers. Like, how, is there a, how, how can I clear the air? 
And she said, give it a couple hours. You'll, you'll be doing that in a couple hours. So the day of the satire, I was wanting to make so much fun of some of the crazy stuff we had done. Um, and I was goofing around with one of the guys who was my buddy in the process. And we were making fun of the process. And then in another hour or two, that was our assignment to do that. So from that, I got home and I made a new friend after the process. And she and I engaged in a writing. We, we both did the artist's way together to, to jumpstart our writing projects. And we were both mothers of a bunch of young kids. and. It, together, we ended up writing a play together that we then took acting lessons and performed together. And then it got optioned and went off Broadway and other actors played the parts instead of us. But it was really, it was really exciting. And I credit the whole thing to the Hoffman satire. So, oh, hold on. You, you did see, you, ooh, you skipped over so many things here. Okay, so you were in the process. You had... I love I love this idea of you organically anticipating what's next. I, I I think that is amazing, and we've all had those students. I I love when that happens. So here you are. Then the satire happens. You then go home and bring this concept and write a satire about you as a mother and you as a partner. From the place of writing this, how does it go from there to getting off Broadway? Well, so the other mother who hadn't done the process yet. She did it afterwards. I really credit her because she was so game for this whole experience of satirizing our lives. It actually started because she was saying how much she admired me and how much I had my act together. And I was like, are you kidding? I'm a maniac. I can't pay my parking tickets. I scream at my kids. And she started laughing and she said, oh my God, so do I. And I said, you, you're perfect. And so then we said, oh, so exhilarating to hear about each other's flaws. Let's write about this. And let's, it, it evolved into let's share this with other mothers so that nobody feels alone. And then we took acting lessons and we performed it in a little yoga studio in Cambridge, Mass. And it was so popular that we then extended the run of the show. And then one of the people in the audience was a friend of mine who produces plays off Broadway. And she said, I think we should try to produce this off Broadway. So then we published the play. When we when we acted in it, it was called Venus de Minivan, a little spoof on Venus de Milo. And then the focus groups in New York when it went off Broadway didn't understand the title. So we changed it to Eve Illusion instead of Evolution. And then Jennifer and I got to be on the Today Show talking about how exciting it was to do what we did, but also how exciting it was for other mothers to not feel so alone in their imperfections and their mistakes. And because every mother or almost every mother wants to do the best job she possibly can. And every mother, as we know from teaching the process, completely screws up because we're human. People loved seeing that performed. And we got a lot of letters and commentary on how great that was. Yeah. So not only was it healing for you all to go through that process, laugh, satirize yourself, then write something, then actually act it out. But then it went to the level of, once again, this is a little bit of a thread with you is, okay, how do I help others with this? 
I want to share this with other mothers. So they experience this freedom or this liberation or this humor or what, all the stuff that you got to experience. How do I share it with other mothers? Which seems to be a thread. All, every time you experience something that is liberating for you, almost instantaneously, you ask yourself, how do I share this with others? That's why you became a Hoffman teacher. That's why you became a coach. That's why you took this play out to Broadway. So if we search for this, could we find clips of it in, in, out in the World Wide Web? I hope so. I don't know very much about the World Wide Web. I know that it's, it's a published play, and it's called Evolution. And I know that it's still being produced because I just got $9, a $9 royalty check. So there really, there is something to that starving playwright phrase. <laughs> Come on, you just got $9, yeah. you know. <laughs> Well, if, if it's out there, we'll, and, and, and we successfully find it, we'll put it in the show notes. Um, cause that would be, I'm sure that would be fun for people to look at. So Hillary, one last question. It's come to me that being a mother and being a Hoffman teacher is obviously a juggle. And it sounds like your kids were young when you started being a Hoffman teacher. How, how did you manage that balance? It was a real juggling act. And it was also talk about keeping the ego in check. I had four kids and I think my youngest two, they're twins. I think they were seven or eight. I'll have to do the math. And the older two were, you know, then 10 and 12 or something like that. And I would be leading bashing sessions and I would hear like someone say, where were you, mom, when I needed you? You know, I needed you and you weren't home and you were always working. And I would be, you know, on the other side of the country from my kids for a week. And I would feel so guilty. But what then would invariably happen in the very same bashing session, and these were in the days where we were closer to the students when they bashed. Now we, we give them more space, but we used to help students bash and sort of be more nearer to them so I heard more but then I would invariably hear someone say you were always suffocating me like why didn't you leave why didn't you have a job why was I your whole life and then I would feel better so it was just a it was such a learning process as a mom hearing about everyone's issues with their moms there's there's an expression if it's not one thing it's your mother I kind of feel the moral of that story of you hearing where were you? And then being like, oh, that's me. I'm not there. And then you, you didn't have a life. You always suffocated me. Why didn't you leave? It's just like kind of to what you said earlier about being a mom. Like, there's no such thing as a perfect. We're just imperfect humans, mothers, parents, daughters, sisters, etc. Exactly. And I think that's the thread of this whole conversation we've been having, right? But like, staying in touch with our imperfections and loving ourselves as imperfect. It's not about fixing ourselves. And this is something, you know, I think we do a good job trying to get this across to students at the process. You're not at the process to be perfected. You don't come to the process to be fixed. Being fixed and perfected, it's not an option. It's not what happens here on planet Earth to human beings. We come to be healed and in healing, we accept that we're imperfect and then we're less defensive about our imperfections because we've accepted them and we love ourselves through them. Hearing you say that makes me 
fall in love again with what we do and why we do it. Yeah, it's really, it's really powerful work. And, and we're really lucky to teach it and people who get to experience it are really lucky. And I'm, I'm really happy to be seeing our institute moving in the direction of trying to bring the work and be more inclusive about who gets to do the work. That's still such an area of inequity, not just at the Hoffman Institute, but in our world. You know, who gets to do this expensive healing work? Who gets to leave their jobs and focus on their healing for a week? That's a very privileged thing to be able to do. It's been comforting to witness the Institute shift in the way it's starting to and the way it's going to. I agree. And, and the shift, you know, I work in the healing space, not just with Hoffman, but in my own work. And it's, it's a problem. It's not just a problem with Hoffman. It's just a problem with the way our world is set up of who, who gets to take time aside to heal. It's the people who aren't so strapped with putting bread on the table. It's, it's systemic. Hillary, thank you so much for being here. I, I always love hearing other teachers' journeys. And I find that as teachers, sometimes we only know that about each other. And the journey of what called us to being a teacher and what keeps us being a teacher and how we manage our own demons and certainly have a relationship with ego, that is fascinating. And then to go outside of Hoffman and to learn who you are outside of Hoffman, I find also fascinating. So thank you so much for sharing that with us today. Thank you, Sharon. Thank you so much. I adore you. I adore you too. Thank you for listening to our podcast. My name is Liza Ingrassi. I'm the CEO and president of Hoffman Institute Foundation. And I'm Raz Ingrassi, Hoffman teacher and founder of the Hoffman Institute Foundation. Our mission is to provide people greater access to the wisdom and power of love. In themselves, in each other, and in the world. To find out more, please go to hoffmaninstitute.org.